would, but you're already there, so I won't do that. Well, this morning we're continuing a series in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, or I'm sorry, on contentment and envy, and I'm thinking this morning that um, all who have gathered here today are the holiest of people in our church, or were the people who couldn't get the campsite or the hotel room we tried to get. Um, It's one of the other. I think I've seen several posts from our people who are all camping this weekend, and uh, so they may have church without us, and we just weren't invited. Um, Just a reminder today, if you're a member of our church and you haven't voted yet, please do so before you leave following the service. Last week, we began a conversation about this idea of contentment versus envy, how they're really polar opposites, how contentment, as we defined last week as a state of being contented or satisfaction or ease of mind. I do want to mention, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but complacency and contentment are not the same thing. And so we'll talk a little bit about complacency, which is not contentment, but just want to clarify that. But envy is this. Envy is a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regards to another's, and then you can fill in the blank. But envy and contentment are really heart issues. So we talked about last week, the envy and contentment are heart issues. They're, they're things in our lives that really come down to what has our heart. What is it that we find ourselves focused upon? And if we're honest, all of us seek to find contentment in some kind of way. And if we're honest, we all probably know of moments or even maybe we're experiencing moments of envy. When either who someone else is or what someone else has, we wish it was ours. Sometimes we just wish it was ours. Other times we wish they didn't have it either. We wish it was only ours. So the question is, how do we live as a contented people? How do we live as not complacent, not envious, but a people who find fulfillment in life? In just a few moments, we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's not a book we often preach from, but we'll be there today. So a couple questions for us today are this. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you felt like nothing was good enough? In some particular area of your life, you were never content, never satisfied, never happy. See, I have to confess a little bit today. Um, I'm a fairly competitive person, probably as a few of you who've gotten to know me at all. So a couple years ago, I took this strengths finder test that Barna Research puts out, and, and I took the test, and I, I thought it was fairly accurate, and, and uh, I came home, and I I showed my five results to my wife. It lists your top five strengths. And I said, see, I think this is pretty accurate. And she goes, well, I don't. And I was like, well, what do you mean you don't? She goes, well, this has competition as number two for you. That should be the, your biggest strength. I'm pretty sure, actually, I'm 100% sure that wasn't meant as a compliment See, throughout my life, that's been an issue of mine, is competition. And so I, I've always wanted to be good at something or better at something than other things. And so I, I decided in fifth grade, I really was jealous of all the people who could play instruments. So I took up instruments, because stringed instruments what were offered in fifth grade. And so I played the bass. The bass is you can't take it home, it's too big. So it doesn't go on the school bus, you have to practice, so you've got to hang out during lunch. But I was so musically inclined that one day in my head, I, I see words in my head, you know, the way they're spelled sometimes. And so I was so musically proficient that when I said it at first, I didn't catch what I said until after I said it. I said I was playing the bass instead of the bass. <laughs> the truth is I probably know as much about bass as I do the bass um, after one full year of playing that instrument. But in sixth grade, I thought, well, let's give this music thing another try. Maybe, maybe I'm just, it was just a bad instrument. I should, I should be in a band, not 
or not a, not an orchestra kind of instrument. Let's try something else. So I, I signed up to play the saxophone. Uh, he told me no. I put the drums as the number two thing on my list. He said no to that as well. Finally, he said, no, you're going to play the trombone. I played one year of the trombone, and I tried to quit midway through the year. It's the only thing in my life my parents have ever let me try to quit. They never allowed me any other time, but my parents heard me practice. And I went to the teacher, and I said, can I? Can I? And my mom called him, and, and he, he said, no, we, we really think kids should, should finish. And she goes, I know, we, we believe the same thing. Our kids should finish what they start. And he said, well, he can't drop out. And so I finished the year. I was so awful, he invited me in the concert band. I think it was so he could laugh more. I'm not sure. Um, but that was the last time I played an instrument. Other than like the little cymbal things you might try at home with your kids, which I'm still poor at that. But what we find, find in my life was that because of my competitive streak, I, I, I always wanted to be better at sports. The problem was in, in that competition, sometimes it meant I had to be better than someone else. And not like I just wanted to, to get better than them, I, I had to beat them. The problem was that it doesn't matter how good you get at something, there's always someone better. Have you noticed that? So you might beat one person, but then you would find that other person who was better than you, and it would keep going on and on and on. And so I never got to a place where I was really content in that. In fact, I was never really satisfied with how good I ever became. It was never good enough. Full of discontent. I enjoyed it. My dilemma wasn't the enjoyment of it. It wasn't the satisfaction I got from playing. That was fine. But it was that I could never be as good as I wanted to be. I eventually came to terms with that, not necessarily out of a place of happiness or contentment, more with I graduated from college and there was nothing left to play anymore. I was done. See, this is true in most of our lives. I joke about sports or music, but we can pick several other areas because there are probably many other areas in our lives that we're discontent. And so we pursue contentment in all kinds of ways. One of the areas we pursue contentment, or we try to find contentment, is in the area of pleasure. Now, pleasure in and of itself is a good thing. Like this weekend, many of us in this room will be a part of a cookout or a celebration or some kind of festival to, to celebrate Memorial Day weekend. And so because of that, there'll be pleasurable things that happen. Pleasure in and of itself is not a bad thing. But the pursuit of pleasure... And an end in itself ultimately leads to more discontent. Some of us have tried to find contentment in our jobs, in our titles, in our positions. Some of us have tried to find contentment in marriage or in having children. Or if I just get this one more thing or just that one more thing, if I could just get this, I'd be okay. Some of us, when we were growing up, were much like me, probably. You, you couldn't wait for the weekend. When you were a kid in school, what did everyone look forward to? It was Friday. When you went home on the school bus, you were so excited because it was Friday. What we found is when we get older, we're still excited for Friday because it means we probably don't have to work on the weekend. I mean, whatever it looks like, we always look forward to that thing. But I remember one of the things that when I spent a lot of time with teenagers coaching or working in youth ministry, that, that I would overhear things about their weekend. Sometimes I would pray out loud, sometimes silently, I hope they don't get arrested for what they're planning on doing. I mean, you know, they would do stupid stuff. It's all about pleasure and thinking in the moment and nothing else mattered. But one of the things that I found fascinating was that as I would hear their parents, not necessarily the kids from church, but the other kids, their life didn't look much different than their teenage children. 
See, this pursuit of pleasure is something that we find all throughout life. If, if we're not careful that our purpose in life, we think, is this pursuit of pleasure or happiness. And we pursue it trying to find fulfillment. But the more we pursue pleasure, the more we find that it doesn't fulfill us. In fact, we find we're more and more discontent. It doesn't give us purpose. And the more we pursue it, the more we long for something in our heart and our soul that gives us meaning in life. See, the Bible is a fascinating book. It has all kinds of sections. I don't know if you know this. It's not just like one story that was set. Someone sat down and wrote the whole thing. But, but there are different sections. So like an example, the, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell the story of Jesus. And you have the epistles, the letters in the New Testament... You have the Acts of the first church. That's why it's called the book of Acts. You know, so there are these different books. You have the law, the first five books. You have the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We have what we call apocalyptic literature. We have prophetic literature. And then we have what we call wisdom literature. Wise sayings. Many of us know the book of Proverbs. We've heard of them. People quote them. Even people who don't believe in the scriptures will quote them because often they're what they say they are. Proverbs are wise sayings. One of the interesting books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. Most assume Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon because it says uh, a king, a son of David, uh, narrows the list considerably. And so the assumption is Solomon is the one who wrote this book. Solomon, a man full of wisdom, wrote this book around one central question. What is the meaning of life? What's the point? Why do we live? What's this worth? And so today we're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I'll invite you to stand as we read. Um, It's a little bit longer reading, but we're going to read it anyway. So if you'd stand and we'll read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here's what Solomon writes. I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of a man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. And when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. That I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. and days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. 
So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, and all of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Solomon was the son of David, and he became king. And when he became king, he was a young king. And so he had this vision, and so he was asked, what's the one thing you want? And Solomon said, well, wisdom. Solomon was known for his wisdom. In fact, there's a story in the scriptures in which these two women come to him and one's child had died and the other one's child was still alive. And, and they came before Solomon and then both claimed that this child was theirs. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, said, okay, well, bring me the child and bring me a sword. We'll cut the child in half and you can each have a half. And one woman said, works for me. The other one, whose child it was, said, no, 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 she, she can take the child. Don't hurt the child. And Solomon looked at the one who said, works for me, and said, not your kid. It belongs to this woman. Solomon was so wise that dignitaries from around the world would come to see him. He was so wise that, that people would come to listen, to hear him talk on all kinds of things, from economics to trade, to labor, to any kind of thing you can think of. He was an expert in all things. Full wisdom. But in all that wisdom, Solomon could never find what really mattered in life. See, when the Israelites had been led out of Egypt, they were told to live in particular kinds of ways. They were told not to reflect the way the Egyptians lived, not to reflect really the principalities and powers of this world. They were to live differently as a different kind of people. And so Solomon knew this, and yet when Solomon began in all his wisdom to build the temple and to build his palace, he remembered the words that God had told the Israelites, don't, don't use slaves. So Solomon built the temple and his house with slaves. God told them, don't store up storehouses with chariots and horses and military might. And what does Solomon do? He stores up chariots and horses. In fact, he got the horses from Egypt. God says, don't, don't store up for yourselves wealth, but trust me. And so what does Solomon do? He's the richest man that probably ever lived. But in all that wealth, he never found contentment. In fact, um, numerology is an interesting thing in Jewish understanding of the scriptures, and we don't talk a lot about it because it's, it, um, we sometimes miss the point of what they're trying to get across. We, we take it too literally often. But in their understanding that in the creation of all things, it, it was seven days was the completion of creation. On the seventh day, God rested, and he said all that he had made was good. But on the sixth day, it wasn't done. No matter what, the sixth day wasn't the day of completion. The day of completion was only the seventh day. So, in other words, 
In the scriptures, in 1 Kings, it says that Solomon, every year his gold and silver weighed 666 talents of gold. Every single year. And the reality is there's no way his gold would be the exact same every single year. That's pretty much impossible, right? He couldn't gain more wealth if it was the same. What the writer of 1 Kings is trying to get us to understand is this, that, that no matter how much gold or silver Solomon had, it was never enough. He was never satisfied. It was never completed. It was never seven. It was 666 because it's as far from seven as you can ever get. It will never equal what you desire. Solomon is a way to, to further his kingdom. Married several hundred women. And over a thousand concubines. There's no pleasure in Solomon's life that he left for any, anything else. He, he did whatever his heart desired. And what he kept finding over and over again is it never brought him to a place of freedom. In fact, at Solomon's death and all his wisdom, the kingdom was split in part because really in all that wisdom and all that amassing of wealth, there was no real purpose in his life. Even in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that, that he recognizes at some point that God is the most important thing in his life, yet he never turns his life back to him. He was never contented. In fact, if there was an envy in Solomon's life, it was for the people that could find themselves filled with contentment with whatever they had. Because Solomon could never find himself quite there. Solomon never found himself in that place. Solomon never found himself in a place where it was contentment enough for him. He was always envious of those who were contented. And we're often envious of Solomon and, and all those who are full of wealth. I want to read that passage again, but a little bit differently this time. I, I, some of you maybe have a Bible at home called The Message. Eugene Peterson is a biblical scholar who, who rewrote the scriptures in a paraphrased version. And I like the way he summarizes this chapter. And so I'm going to read it to you again uh, from, from The Message. And it says this. I said to myself, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure. Have a good time. But there was nothing to it. Nothing but smoke. What do I think of the fun-filled life? Insane. Insane. My verdict on the pursuit of happiness? Who needs it? With the help of a bottle of wine and all the wisdom I could muster, I tried my level best to penetrate the absurdity of life. I wanted to get a handle on anything useful we mortals might do during the years we spent on this earth. Oh, I did great things. Built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, and planted a variety of fruit trees in them made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me even more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song, and most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done, looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke, smoke, and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. And then I took a hard look at what's smart and what's stupid, what's left to do after you've been king. 
That's a hard act to follow. You just do what you can and that's it. But I did see that it's better to be smart than stupid, just as light is better than darkness. Even so, the smart ones see they're going, see where they're going, and the stupid ones grope in the dark. They're all the same in the end. One fate for all, and that's it. When I realized that my fate's the same as the fool's, I had to ask myself, so why bother being wise? It's all smoke, nothing but smoke. The smart and the stupid both disappear out of sight. In a day or two, they're both forgotten. Yes, both the smart and the stupid die, and that's it. I hate life. As far as I can see, what happens on earth is a bad business. It's smoke and spitting into the wind. And I hated everything that accomplished and accumulated on this earth. I can't take it with me. No, I have to leave it to whoever comes after me. Whether they're worthy or worthless, and who's to tell? They'll take over the earthly results of my intense thinking and hard work. Smoke. That's when I called it quits. Gave up on anything that could be hoped for on this earth. What's the point of working your fingers to the bone if you hand over what you worked for to someone who never lifted a finger for it? Smoke, that's what it is. A bad business from start to finish. So what do you get from a life of hard labor? Pain and grief from dawn to dusk. Never a decent night's rest. Nothing but smoke. The best you can do with your life is have a good time and get by the best you can. The way I see it, that's it. Divine fate. Whether we feast or fast, it's up to God. God may give wisdom and knowledge and joy to his favorites, but sinners are assigned a life of hard labor and end up turning their wages over to God's favorites. Nothing but smoke and spitting into the wind. Solomon, in all his wisdom, never really knew what the purpose of his life was. Solomon, in all his wisdom, having more than any of us could ever dream, it was never enough. In fact, the theme of the whole book of Ecclesiastes is this, that without God at the center, life is meaningless. The last phrase of the book is this, fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. As someone found, when you seek pleasure for pleasure's sake, it never leaves you fulfilled, it leaves you empty. When you're envious of those things, it finds yourself empty over and over again. It never fills your heart's desire for purpose and matter in life. No matter how much pleasure you find, it will never be enough. Sometimes, we're envious of the pleasure we used to know. So I mentioned that I played sports before, and I, I played tennis this week for the first time in a long time, and I finished thinking this thought... I will never be as good as I used to be, no matter what I do. It's a little bit depressing, to be honest with you. I say that jokingly, but at the same time, seriously, we sometimes fixate upon the past. We fixate upon the past, and we're envious of the life we used to live. We're envious of the pleasure we used to know. We've all been to the diner or to the gym, the high school gym, where, where there's that old guy who tells you, hey, back in my day, I was so good. And they tell you about how great they used to be, and they just lament that they're old now. Or you've met that person who says, well, you know, when I was your age, they fill in the blank with whatever story, and they are envious of the life they used to know or the person they used to be. They live in such a way that the best days are always behind and not in the present or the future. It's the opposite of contentment. That's envy. 
In fact, if we're honest, sometimes in the church we do the same thing. We just guise it in spirituality and we say things like this. Well, you know, this isn't really church anymore because we do this instead of that now. Or we've changed this and the church was better when we used to do that. Or we were envious of the days that have gone by. We wish we could move back to those days, whatever those days would be. Or some days, sometimes we say things like, well, that pastor, that they really got it right, or that church leader. And honestly, if you think a previous pastor was better than me, I can live with that. I'm okay with that. But what I'm not okay with is any of us living into this idea that God doesn't want to do something new. Solomon, in all his wisdom, says, there's nothing new under the sun. That's not true. Solomon was dead wrong. Because in fact, after Solomon, Jesus came into the world and redeemed creation in a new way. That was a new thing that had never been done. It was hundreds of years after Solomon. Solomon was wrong. Jesus entered into the world and a new thing had happened. He takes the things of discontent and he gives us contentment. He takes the things that we were envious of and he allows our heart to be radically transformed so that one of the things for us is that we can look back, and not in an envious way, but we can look back and say, hey, we want to honor the past. We want to honor what's gone before us. We want to celebrate it, but we're not going to live there. We're not going to be envious of it. We're we're going to find ways to be content in this day and we're going to look to it in this day and into hope for the future. Now, if we're not careful, we can miss contentment in our day and only have this desire for the future. And that misses the point, too. See, if we're envious of the past or what could be in the future, then we miss the contentment in the present. And this is what God's desire is for our hearts, to find contentment in Him, to find satisfaction. Not complacency. So reminder, complacency is not the same thing as contentment. Complacency, often we can characterize as this, laziness. God doesn't desire laziness for us, but he does desire contentment. And there's a difference between the two. He wants us to recognize that he wants to do a new thing in our hearts in this day. It really is a matter of the heart. That regardless of our circumstances, we can find contentment. That's why the passage from last week will be the same passage I'm going to read now. It'll be the same passage I read again next week. It's from Philippians chapter 4. It's Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. That's why Paul is in prison. He writes these words. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That last verse is the most misquoted verse probably in the New Testament. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We use it for all of our sports teams, and you'll see it on guys' shoes. And I'm not saying we can't do things through that, but what Paul's trying to say is this. Hey, listen, I've been rich. I owned a tent-making company. I did well. I was a Roman citizen. I did pretty well. I'm poor right now. I'm in prison. I've eaten well. And I've been hungry. Paul, who'd been beaten, flogged, stoned, shipwrecked, run out of town, imprisoned, that same Paul can say, I know contentment even while I'm in chains. Paul recognized something that we so often miss, that contentment doesn't matter our circumstances. It really is a matter of our heart. It's a matter of what has our heart. Is it our envy for what someone else has or what something else they do or some other position, 
Or is it contentment in knowing that Jesus is Lord? He says, I know this secret. It's not really a secret. The secret is this. He knows Jesus. He knows that in Jesus, God is redeeming and restoring and making new. He knows that in Jesus, God is giving the fullness of his love to us. He knows that no matter how much we seek pleasure, we'll never find contentment in it. Not that we shouldn't enjoy things, not that we shouldn't find pleasure in life, but if that is our goal, if that's what we seek, then we'll always find ourselves empty. So we have a couple of choices. We can choose to be like Solomon and seek after pleasure and find it's meaningless. We can choose to be like the old guy at the gym who tells you about how great he was when he was a teenager. Or we can be like Paul, who recognizes no matter our age, no matter our circumstance, that if we follow Jesus, there's always hope, there's contentment, there's joy in life. There's living for something of purpose and meaning, of value, regardless of our age or circumstance, that we are to be a people of hope. It doesn't mean there aren't struggles in the middle of this. It doesn't mean there aren't days where you're frustrated. I'm sure Paul, sitting in prison, was going, hey, this is great. I'm in prison. This is a great place to be. I'm sure when he was executed, that wasn't what was running through his mind. But he had a peace that can only come in our hearts through knowing Jesus, a peace that gives purpose to life, a peace that, that pleasure can never fill, that envy leaves us wanting, but contentment leaves us filled. The call to us is to be people whose hearts are turned to God. When Solomon says there's nothing new in their son, he's just wrong. Envy pursues pleasure for pleasure's sake, but contentment seeks to know Jesus to love God and to love others, and finds pleasure in the midst of all life, and finds fulfillment, true fulfillment. This morning, the praise team is going to come, and we're going to sing this song, Living for You, because the reality is we should celebrate when we come to know Jesus, we find this freedom, this hope. You can go ahead and come. I, I meant it, yeah. Envy is the opposite of contentment. Contentment leads us in a place where we're filled. Envy leads to a place we're always wanting. The desire for us to be people who find contentment in knowing Jesus, who find our hearts made right, who find regardless of our circumstances, we can find peace. And that really is the desire for us to live as a people of contentment, not a people of envy. We stand with me as we pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the way you continue to be with us. We pray this morning you'll help us to be people of contentment and not envy, a people who, who find fulfillment in life, that we don't feel like Solomon and we say everything is meaningless, there's nothing new under the sun. And for all our work and toil, it's worthless, but may we find our life is worth something because we know who gives value. May our value be in knowing you as Lord. May our value be in recognizing that in, in Jesus we see the fullness of God's love for us. May we believe and embrace that God really does love us. That God really does have a purpose for our life. God really does, does desire for us to find contentment in him. That regardless of our circumstances, we can have hope and peace and joy. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.